So I want to begin by asking you a question. What if Jesus were to return today? What if he were to begin to perform miracles, begin to heal people? People who are blind get their sight. People who couldn't walk get up and people who are dead are raised. Uh, what do you think would happen? What, what do you think the response would be? Do you think a lot more people would believe? Do you think that uh, there might be a revival? Let's say it just, you know, he showed up in the United States. Do you think there'd be a revival? Um, do you think people would want to make him president? We could use a good candidate for president right now, right? Um, I mean, what, what do you think would happen? I think many of us would think, well, there would absolutely be a revival. A lot of people would see who Jesus is. They see his miracles. They would believe on the spot. And we're going to look at a passage this weekend. It kind of throws that, that thinking into question because we're going to look at uh, where Jesus is performing miracles very clearly performing miracles, and he's got this crowd of people following him. But they're not necessarily buying into what he's saying, and they're not, under, they're not really understanding who he is and why he came, and for that reason, they may not, uh, they may not uh, respond the way that we think he, they might and the way that we think people would today. But really, the real question we want to we look at today is, how would we respond how would we respond? What, what difference would it make in our lives? That's really what we want to look at. So we're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 6 again. This is on page, if you want to use the chair Bible, page um, 8, 814. Page 814, and we're going to be in the Gospel of John, uh, starting at verse 16. Um, last weekend, Nelson talked about the, the, uh, the young a boy who you know, brought his lunch or whatever meal he had, and Jesus multiplied it. 5,000 people were fed. It was an incredible miracle, and certainly the people took notice and the disciples took notice. It's interesting that when he performed that miracle, notice there were 12 bags or 12 baskets of things, one for each disciple to say, oh, yeah, right, you know, each of them had their, their own. So John chapter 6, verse 16, and we'll see kind of this how this uh, unfolds. It's really going to focus first on the disciples and then the group of people, the crowd, uh, after that. That evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across toward Capernaum. Soon a gale swept down upon them, and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three to four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified, but he called out to them, Don't be afraid, I am here. Then they were eager to let him into the boat, and immediately they arrived at their destination. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized that Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you want uh, to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so uh, concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. So there's a few things. Uh, first, as I said before, uh, 
Jesus multiplied the, the bread last week, and we looked at that. And we said that uh, people were fed 5,000 plus, probably more than 5,000 people. So now he's got these people following him. But they're not following him because they really care about what he's saying or what he's teaching. They're following him because he can multiply bread, because they can get a free meal. Essentially, that's kind of what they're doing. Uh, the disciples, they're waiting for Jesus, and they're down by the, the Sea of Galilee. They're ready to cross over. It's starting to get dark. It's going to get dark. So they're concerned about getting across to the other side and uh, before dark. And so they get into the boat because Jesus doesn't show up. And they begin rowing three to four miles, by the way. So it's quite a distance. And all of a sudden, this gale, this storm hits them while they're rowing across the Sea of Galilee. And it must have been a pretty fierce storm because some of the men in the boat were fishermen and had seen storms before. And they were, it says, the text says they were absolutely terrified. And Jesus shows up, he's walking on water, and he says, fear not, it is I. Okay? It's me. And so they welcome him into the boat, and immediately the boat is transported. Somehow, don't know, doesn't explain, just says they're at the shore. So uh, that's... It's an amazing miracle there. Don't know really what happened there, but uh, essentially uh, they were safe. So Jesus uh, meets them, and it's very interesting too. He meets them in the midst of the storm where they're terrified. Have you been there? Have you been in the midst of a storm? And you, maybe the first question you have is, Jesus, where are you? I, I can't find you. I don't know where you are. I, I need you, and I just want to say to you, wherever you're at today, whatever your storm is, whether it's a financial storm, or you're, you're, you're struggling in health, or you're struggling in a relationship, that whatever storm you have, Jesus is in, is in the midst of that storm. He is there somewhere in that storm. The problem is we, we, don't, we don't look for him in the storm. Sometimes we get angry, we get bitter, we, we blame, uh, whatever it is, but we need to open our eyes and say, Jesus, where are you? Because I know if there's a storm, you're there. And, and he, he is there. He is there in the midst of the storm. The disciples looked for him and they found him in the midst of the storm. So they're immediately on the other side. But he, he uses an interesting phrase. And our, our translation says, uh, it is I. And literally what Jesus says is, I am. Which is kind of a really important thing. Now, what we're going to see here is in this chapter of John, and John does this all through his gospel, but in this chapter specifically, um, he's Jesus is making references back, John is too, to the book of Exodus. So there's some Exodus that's Exodus. If you don't know this, Exodus is an Old Testament book. Uh, Genesis, Exodus is the second book of the, uh, the uh, Old Testament. And it's basically where the people of the people of Israel who are slaves in Egypt exodus out of Egypt and they're led out of Egypt by Moses okay God's leader and that's why the, the book is called Exodus so Exodus is uh, re- made reference to here now what's going on here is uh, in the book of Exodus the, uh, Moses is out in the wilderness and he's tending to sheep and he sees this bush and it's on fire, but it's not being consumed by the fire. And he's amazed by that. He goes, that's strange. So, he, you know, he does what we would do. He walks up to it and he says, cool, you know. And the bush is actually the presence of God. And the bush says, take off your sandals. You're, you know, the ground you're, you're standing on is holy. So he takes off his sandals and 
begins to have a conversation with God through this, the presence of God in this bush. And God says to Moses, my people are slaves. I've heard their cry. They need a leader, and I choose you. And I want, now again, this is my summary. You can read about it in the book of Exodus. Um, I want you, Moses, to lead my people from Egypt and bring them to the promised land, the land I promised to Abraham. That's what I want you to do, okay? So Moses says, I don't think I'm your guy. In fact, I know I'm not your guy. I don't want to do this. And finally, God, you know, I don't know how you debate with God, but he did. He debated with God, and ultimately uh, Moses agrees to go, and Moses says, who should I say to Pharaoh when Pharaoh says, who are you and why should I let the people go? Who do I tell them? What, you know? And God says, you tell Pharaoh that I am sent you. I am. Now, I am is the, the name of God. It's the eternal name of God. I am, not I was, I will be. I am. There is no beginning. There is no end. I am God. It's his eternal name. So when Jesus is walking on water here and his disciples cry out to him, he says, I am. So it's a significant thing. And John wants us to see this, that, that Jesus, who Jesus is. Remember, what we've been trying to look at, what we've been trying to see in the, in the Gospel of John is, in the Gospel of John, John wants us to see who Jesus is and why he came. Because if we understand who he is and why he came, then we'll understand his mission. If we understand his mission, we'll see what Jesus came to do for us. So it's pretty significant. Um, so that's, that, that's really important. Essentially, what I'd like you to see this weekend is I would like you to see how the Old Testament and the New Testament work together like, like fingers in a glove. They, 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 they match one another, and they're not in conflict. They're not in contradictory. They work together, and you're going to see that, that, uh, that that's very true. The other thing I want you to do is I want you to leave with a real appreciation and a love for the Word of God, that the Word of God is, is just... It is just composed and put together by God through men. And we have God's Word, and it's in an amazing book. And we'll see how it, it ties together. And we're going to see a couple other examples of that. But the, getting back to the people in, in the Gospel of John. and So the people are pursuing Jesus, and they, they, they look for Jesus, and they pursue Him, and they find Him. And, uh, but, they, but here's the thing. They were pursuing Him for the wrong reason. They wanted him for what he could do for them. They wanted him for bread. That's essentially why they wanted to follow him, because he was like, you know, one of the, the five food groups or whatever it was. They, they decided that Jesus could feed them. And it says in John that they didn't understand the miraculous sign of the bread. And so, so John says in his gospel, he, Jesus, he says in, in the last part of his Gospel, John chapter 20, he says, um, many other signs, miraculous signs truly to Jesus, but these, John says, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So these miraculous, this phrase miraculous signs is pretty important. What Jesus is do, doing, what John is doing through Je- and showing through Jesus is that if you grasp these miraculous signs, you'll understand who Jesus is. And if you understand who he is, you'll understand why he came. And so John is basically saying the people saw the multiplication of the bread, but they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. And so they followed Jesus for what they could get from him, not for who he was. 
And we often do that, don't we? Don't we often seek Jesus for what He can do for us? We need to be healed. We need this prayer answered. We need this, you know, and there's, there's, that's part of the relationship for sure. But when our relationship is all about us getting from God, then we're not really understanding who He is. So they didn't understand who Jesus was and why He came. Now, in this passage, we're going to look a little further. Jesus is going to separate the people who are part of the crowd and the people who are committed. And you know what? In this group, the same is true. There is always, within any group, there's always the crowd and there's the committed. And Jesus is basically going to kind of, he's going to whittle down to the committed. And we're going to see how he does that. And, and essentially what, 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 what I want you to do is I want you to examine the word of God today. And I want you to leave and say, am I, part, am I just part of the crowd? Or am I one of the committed? Where do I stand? And, and, and that's really essentially what this passage is going to look at. What, what's the difference between somebody who is part of the crowd and those who are committed? And Jesus is going to show, show us that. And John is going to show us that. And more importantly, we're going to come to a place where, you know, there's another part in the scripture in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus separates the sheep and the goats. And the sheep, he says, my sheep know my voice, and they know me, and I know them. And at the end, when Jesus comes, he will finally come back. And he says in that day, he's going to separate the wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats, the crowd and the committed. And so it's best to know that now. It's best to look that through now. So what are the differences between the crowd and the committed? Well, number one, the committed seek beyond the miracle to the master. You see, the people, again, were not, they were not really looking for a king. They were looking for a meal. Um, they, wanted, uh, they want Jesus uh, for what he could give them, for bread. Okay. Now, if you jump down a little bit to verse 30 of, of John chapter 6, um, this, is, this is the attitude of the crowd. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. <laughs> and essentially all they're saying is we want more bread. Now, we're really not interested. The signs are cool, but we want bread. We're hungry. After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. Now, this is a reference back to the book of Exodus. As I said before, Exodus is going to be pretty important in understanding this chapter. We'll talk about that in a minute. The scriptures said, excuse me, the scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Now, what's interesting here is Jesus is speaking symbolically. He's saying, essentially, I'm the bread that the father has sent from heaven to save you, not from your physical need for bread, but from your spiritual need, because you have a hungering heart. That you have an inner hunger that you can't fill. And you have an inner thirst that you can't take care of. And God sent me, the Father sent me down to fill your empty heart. That's why He sent me. But the people aren't getting that because they're saying, well, give us that bread, because if we just have to eat that bread once then we won't have to eat bread anymore because it's a pain to have to find bread all the time. Do you ever wonder why God didn't just give us food that we, we would eat it once and we wouldn't have to do it anymore? Well, there's, I mean, many of us would say, but there's such a 
great experience every time we sit down and try something new and try a different meal, right? It's a real experience. But these people are thinking, well, maybe God has this supernatural bread that we'll never have to eat again. But here's, this is really interesting too, because if you jump back to John chapter 4, you don't have to, I'll just give you the story. So he meets, Jesus meets this woman at the well, right? And she comes to him and Jesus says, would you get me a drink? And the woman says, why would you, a Jew, a man, ask me a Samaritan, a woman, for a drink? And he says, if you knew the gift that I had, the gift that God has for you, you would ask me for water. And I would give you, Jesus says, I would give you living water. And she says, sir, give me this water so I don't have to come to this well again. And that's what she says in verse 15 of chapter 4. She says, please, sir, the woman says, give me this. And she's talking about the living water. This living water, then I'll never have to be thirsty again. I won't have to come and get water. She's saying the same thing these people are saying about bread. Jesus wasn't talking about well water. He was talking about living water, right? Jesus isn't talking about, you know, regular bread. He's talking wonder bread, whatever kind of bread. He's talking about the living bread, right? So the woman didn't understand uh, that Jesus was the living water, and the, and the people, the crowd, didn't understand that Jesus is the manna, the bread from heaven. And so it's very significant. Now, where this finds its connection in the book of Exodus is really important. Because what John is doing is very interesting. He's showing us that there is always a crowd, and then within the crowd, there's the committed. And John wants us to say, where, where are you? Where, where, where do you fall? In the Old Testament, Moses did go to Pharaoh, and he did say, God, I am, says, let my people go. And you can read about the plagues and all of that. You can read about the armies chasing them. You can read about them wandering in the wilderness. So they're in the wilderness. This is a really desolate place of the, on the earth. And they're wandering. And what do you need in the wilderness? If you were in a desert today, what would you need? Well, I'd need water. And I'd need food. And so God gives them water. He provides for them water in really miraculous ways. But He also provides bread. It's called manna. And every day for 40 years, every morning, manna would appear. And the people would gather enough manna for the day, and they would, they would live on that. Now, on the Sabbath day, they were told to gather enough for two days so that they could live for the two days. And every other day, they'd have manna. And God did that for 40 days. And it, it's like a switch. Manna started, and then when they came into the promised land, manna ended, you know. But the thing about it was, what God is saying here is this. God provided bread. He provided manna. And John is saying to the people, God has provided you manna, but He's provided you not just bread. You've eaten the bread. You were on the hill and you ate the bread. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about this eternal manna, manna from heaven that will fill your empty heart, your hungering heart. God God is providing that, and He's right before your eyes. He sent Jesus as the manna from heaven to eternally save you. But the people in the crowd could not, they could not understand what Jesus was saying. They could not see past the bread. They experienced the miraculous sign. They all ate the bread, but they failed to understand the significance of Jesus. They failed to see the Master. And interestingly enough, not only that, they wanted to make Him king, but they only wanted to make Him king so that He could give them bread. They wanted Jesus 
to give them daily bread. Now, the second thing we see about the committed is this. That the committed decide to follow the master. Jesus called the crowd and the committed to decide, and he always does. Notice what he says in verse 35. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. However, those that the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. There's a couple of interesting things here. Number one, it says that God draws us, and then we believe. And I don't know how those two work together, but they do in Scripture. It's not all you believing. It's God drawing you somehow. But it's also you believing. It's you responding to God's call. Now, the people of Israel were called... uh, and, And we go back to Exodus and what's going on there. So God is saying to the people of Israel, I brought you out of Egypt. I defeated, uh, the, I defeated the Pharaoh. And so under the leadership of Moses, God leads his people out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, and into the wilderness. He provides them food and water. And he's saying to them, will you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you uh, look past the, the, the harsh climate and will you trust me? And what do the people do? They began to grumble. We hate this manna. We wish we could go back to Egypt and have the leeks and all the great stuff that we had. Life was so good in Egypt. You were slaves in Egypt. But they grumbled about it. And even though God had provided water and manna for them, they grumbled. They failed to trust God. And for that reason, that whole generation of people perished in the desert. They died. In the desert. In a similar way, we go back to John's gospel and Jesus is saying to them, the manna from heaven has come and it's me. God has sent me to fill your hungering hearts, to give you eternal life. I am the one that's going to do that. And what did the people do when Jesus said that to them? Well, they did exactly what the people did under Moses' leadership in the wilderness. They began to grumble. Look at verse uh, 41. Then the people began to murmur. Substitute grumble. It's the same word. In disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And then you jump down to verse 47. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. It doesn't say everyone who believes hopefully will have one day, might have, could have. We're hoping for the best. No, it says you already have it. It's a present possession. You, you currently have it. And he says, yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. So what Jesus is saying here is you have to look past your meal and see the master. You have to see me as the Savior, the only one that can fill your heart, the only one who can give you eternal life. And if you believe and trust in me, you will find that life. So he's asking them for a decision. Now, some of the disciples committed, but some of them, and and some of them chose to follow. Now, as you read down, and we're not going to do that anymore, but if you read down through the rest of the chapter, Jesus becomes really graphic. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And, And you go, what's he talking about? Well, he's obviously not talking about cannibalism here. 
He's obviously not saying, okay, take a bite right here. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's, he's speaking figuratively. He's saying, unless you fully commit to me, unless you give me your life, unless you completely trust in me, you will perish. You will never have eternal life. That's what he's saying. That's what he's talking about. He's not making a reference to communion here, okay? That's not really what he's talking about, and nobody would have gotten it. We look back, we say, well, maybe he's making a refer- reference to transubstantiation or consubstantiation. No, he's not. He's basically talking figuratively, and he's saying, will you commit to me, or are you going to be part of the crowd? Well, what happened at this point was people, when they heard these hard words, they said, I'm out of here. This guy's nuts. Maybe he gave us a meal, but we're not going to follow him. He's a crazy man. But then he comes to his disciples. And he says to his disciples, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Now, not everybody walked away, but a lot of people walked away. So Jesus turns to his disciples. And I, I love what Peter says here. Look at verse 67. Jesus turned to the twelve. And he asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? To whom would we go? What's our other option? I'm amazed at people that people that reject Jesus today and they say, oh, I'm not going to believe in Jesus. Hey, well, well, what are you going to believe in? Well, do you have another option out there I've never heard of? What, what's your other option? I mean, if you got something better, speak up right now. It's interesting to me, people so freely and so quickly dismiss Jesus as though they have 50 other options to fall back on. And Peter had it right. Peter, you know, Peter did some really... Peter was the kid in class that would raise his hand and ask the dumb question, the one that you were going to ask but you would never ask, right? That's Peter. Okay, but sometimes Peter just had flashes of brilliance. And this is one of them where he says, there's nowhere else to go. You're our only hope. You're the savior. And he goes on to say, he says, Lord, to whom to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you're the holy one of God. What a great confession. Peter says, you know what? We're not part of the crowd. We get, we get why you're here. We get who you are. Now, did, did he completely understand it? No, absolutely he didn't. But he's saying, you know what? If I have to place my faith anywhere, you're the best place to place it. Let me give you three quick lessons from John 6 and we'll be done. The first one is this. Jesus came to fill our empty lives. You know, He's the bread. He's the manna from heaven. He's the bread of life. He is eternal life. He's the only one who can fill our empty lives, both now and forever. Uh, we try to fill our lives. We try to fill it with the relationships or success or money or whatever it is. And to a certain extent, it does. But in the end, we still feel empty. We feel hungry. We feel thirsty. We feel as though something's missing. And Jesus is the only one. He said to the woman at the well, he says, I'm going to give you living. I'll give you living water. If you trust in me, I'll give you living water. And it will come pouring out of you. In other words, it will fill you completely. It'll fill every void and gap of your life. You'll have hope. You'll have joy. You'll have, you'll have all of that. I'll give it to you if you call upon me. 
The thing about eternal life is, and that's why he says, he who believes in me has eternal life. He doesn't say will have, should have, might have. He says has, present possession. Too many people, uh, eternal life is designed to be lived now and forever. Um, We don't have to wait. Too many people think of faith as a a, a way to avoid hell or invest uh, for the future of heaven. People say, well, I'm going to believe in Jesus so that I don't go to hell. Or they say, I'm going to believe in Jesus so that one day I'll go to heaven. Now, that has really nothing to do with my life today. I'm on my own. I'm doing my thing. Jesus is doing his thing. We'll meet up in heaven. Right? He's going to come back and say, hey, cool, ready to go. You know, it's like you're waiting for a ride. Right? Many people see that's what it is to be a Christian. That I'm just waiting for a ride, waiting for for the bus driver Jesus to come, take the bus to heaven, there we go. Uh, Or to avoid hell. And I just want you to understand that is not what, what the gospel is. If you understand the gospel, uh, you see that Jesus came to give us, Jesus said, abundant life here and now. He didn't come to change your life in the future. He came to change your life today, right now. He wants you to live the joy of eternal life here and now. What does that look like? It's simply, a few, let me give you a couple of ideas. Number one, we experience hope in the midst of tr- tough times. We can hold our head up knowing that, that maybe our, our, our health is bad or we're losing somebody close to us. And we say, I still have hope because I know that one day that there, there's a day out there where, where we win, where there's hope. Um, we can grow in knowledge of his love for us. We, we can grow and un- begin to understand day by day by day just how much he loved us and how much he loves us. And as we grow in His love and we understand who, how loved we are by Him, the Creator of the universe, the One who created us in His image, the One who came and gave His life for us, we begin to understand how loved we are by Him that we don't worry about what other people think because we know the Creator of the universe loves us and that changes everything. And so it changes our path. It changes our direction. Uh, we can discover um, and become all that He designed us to be. In Ephesians 2.10 it says that God created you to be his masterpiece and then as we give our life to him he begins to do a transformation he begins to make us and mold us into what he designed us to be and when we become what he designed us to be be, we really begin to live we really begin to live fly we begin to be what god designed us to be and so we don't have to wait for that that can happen now we we uh we can help others know the forgiveness and freedom that only uh he can bring in i don't know about you but one of the greatest things that that i've ever experience is helping being used by god you know maybe one of many but helping people come to know christ and knowing that they're going to spend eternity with god and seeing the transformation that god is doing in their lives there's nothing on earth like it and so jesus says i came to give you abundant life here and now now you don't have to wait for it it's here and now it's here and now secondly jesus came to rule in every part of our lives Somebody has said he's either Lord of all or not Lord at all. And that's absolutely true. And yet, what we do, Americans are really good at this, and I probably other cultures are, I can't speak for other cultures. We can compartmentalize, can't we? 
We could put Jesus in a box. Say, this is my Jesus box or this is my Jesus room. He's Sunday morning or Saturday night or whenever. And that's where we, Jesus and I get together. Or when I have a tough time, I call out for Jesus. I open the door. But He doesn't invade my life. He's never in my workspace. He's never when I go to school. He's never in my neighborhood. Jesus doesn't show up there. I don't. Sh- I, I mean, if, if you follow me around, you'd only see Jesus and me at this particular time we have this appointment and i keep it somehow sometimes but see here's the thing you don't get to compartmentalize jesus you can't cordon off a, a, a secure section of your life isn't it amazing think about what you're taught you're, you're doing here you're saying to the one who created the heavens and the earth the one not only created the heavens and the earth but sustains we're told in ephesians that he sustains the world, that if Jesus wasn't alive today, the world would, it, as we know, it would be gone. It would be just a vapor. So we're telling, and, and the one who came and gave his life for us, we're telling him that he has no right to reign or rule over every part of our life. <laughs> it's like, really? <laughs> Can we really do that? I found that in my life that when there's a part of my life that I'm not allowing Christ to reign and rule over. It's because I don't trust Him. I don't trust Him. <laughs> that just sounds... You say it out loud, you go, are you listening to your words right now? Because they don't make any sense. And they don't make any sense. I can't trust the one who created the universe. I can't trust the one who made me in His image. I can't trust the one who gave His life for me with, this, with my life. It's like, what's wrong with you? I go, I don't know. <laughs> but that's the way it is sometimes, right? We try to make him a small K king. And I think that's what the people wanted to do that day. They said, well, we'd like to have you be a small K king. Not a big K king, but a small K king. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that he's king of kings and lord of lords. Um, you can't exclude him from any part of your life. He's the creator and sustainer of the universe. Um, you can trust Him. The third thing we want to say, we'll close with this. Jesus calls us to believe in and follow Him. You know, you've heard people say, seeing is believing. And that's kind of the question I posed when we began. I said, if Jesus were to return today, and if He were to perform miracles, would, would you believe more? Would your friends, neighbors believe more? Or coworkers believe more? People you go to school, would they believe? If they saw the miracles? And, and I got, you know, I, I got to be honest with you, I don't think they would. I mean, I think there'd be rumblings. I think some people would, you know. But for the most part, I don't think uh, I don't think people would be swayed, just like they weren't in that day. I mean, Jesus, think about this. Jesus fed five thousand people. These people knew that there was a miracle. They they saw it, and yet they couldn't. They they all they saw was the bread. Uh, there 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 were all these miracles that he was performing. I mean, people that used to be blind or are are. They have sight. People are lame or walking. He's performing miracles all around me, casting out demons, you know. I mean, he cast demons out of this man's pigs, and the man said, get him out of here, you know. <laughs> I, I don't want anything to do with him. So, so he could perform all the miracles he wanted. He could be here. But I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting that our text says that seeing is not believing. That if Jesus were to be here and we were to see him and experience his miracles, I don't, I don't think it would make a big difference. Uh, I sincerely believe that, that, that if Jesus were to show up today, begin performing miracles, most people would still not believe. 
My point is this. You don't need more miracles. You don't need more evidence. God has spoken in multiple ways. He's, you're going to go out today, this weekend, and then this week, and I think we're going to have a beautiful week this week. And you're going to go out and you're going to say, what a we said it this morning when I was riding here with Carol. I said, what a beautiful morning. What a beautiful, bright blue sky it was today. It is today. Uh, and and, I, and you, you look at a, a sunset or a sunrise and you say, what a, what a beautiful sunrise. What a beautiful sunset. And you say, well, what, a, what an incredible creator. You look at our world and the mountains and the oceans and the, the beautiful pictures that people take and post. You say, wow, what a beautiful world we live in. And you know there's a creator behind it. The heaven, the psalmist puts it, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament displays handiwork. In other words, the psalmist says, if you look at creation and you don't see a creator, you're blind. Secondly, um, we have this inner witness. And that's kind of what Jesus was speaking to today. We have this hunger. We have this thirst. We have this emptiness within our lives. We know it's there. We can lie about it. We can say, oh, I don't have it. I don't need this. Uh, But in the end, when we lay our heads down at night, we say, there's something missing in my life. I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. And I don't know what it is. My job isn't doing it. My relationship to this person, they're a very good person, very nice person, but they're not filling it. This, this, this level of success that I've achieved, this, this life that I'm living, it, it's good, but it's, there's, having this family has been great, but there's something missing. Having grandkids, it's opened up a whole new vast, you know, a, a, a vast area of my life, and yet something's missing. And Jesus says to the woman at the well, you need living water. And he says to the people, you don't need bread, you need the manna from heaven. That's the only thing that will fill your life. That's the only thing that will fill the void. So, we have the witness of creation. We have the inner witness. We have the witness of His Word. His Word has been given to us to show us who God is and what He's done and what He's doing and who Jesus is. And We have John... John chapter 6 today where it tells us who Jesus is and why He came. The whole Gospel of John is about that. And John's point is, when you read this, when you see this, when you experience this, will you trust in Jesus? He's your only hope. Just like, just like Peter said, Lord, where else would we turn? Where else are we going to find hope? Right? He's given us the creation, the inner witness. He's given us His Word. And finally, He's given us Jesus. He's given us Jesus who was well witnessed. There were many witnesses who saw Jesus and experienced the miracles. Jesus says in John chapter 6, if you believe in Me, you have eternal life. If you cross that line and trust in Me, you will find the life that you're, you're longing for. It said that day that many walked away. The crowd and the committed were separated. Some began to walk, some began to walk away, and some continued to walk with him. And, and that's really what it comes down to, folks. In every crowd, in every group, there's always really two groups. And, and really, John and Jesus would say to us today, "Where are you?" Because you're either walking with Jesus or you're walking away. There's not, a, there's not another option. 
You're either following Him or you're falling away. You're either accepting Him and trusting Him or you're grumbling. You're not there. So where are you? Because that's essentially what John wants us to say. He wants us to come around to that question that we can only ask ourselves, where am I? If I would have looked at my life in the last month, was I walking with Jesus or was I kind of walking away? Jesus says to Peter, what are you going to do? Are you going to walk away too? And Peter says, you're my only hope. You're my only hope. To where else would I go? I hope that's your response. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. And so, Father, help us. Help us to examine our lives and examine our hearts. Help us to understand who Jesus is and why He came. And help us to answer the question that was posed to Peter. Will you walk away also? May our response be, Lord, to whom will we go? Where will we go? The answer is, there is no other. Thank you. And Father, confirm in our hearts that we are walking with you today. Separate, the, separate us from the crowd. Show us to be committed as we walk with you this week. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.